everybody, and welcome to the Smorgasbord. I'm Tom Shapira, and with me... Hello, I'm Sean Edry, the master of Kung Fu. Well, yeah, that you are. Not everybody who listens to this podcast is aware of how dangerous Sean is. I'm white, I could be a master of Kung His Fu. His hands are registered as a lethal weapon 1, lethal weapon 2, <laughs> and the legs are lethal weapon 3. The legs are too old four. for this shit. That's what it is. It's like, I'm too old. Anyway, this is a comic book podcast brought to you by the fine folks at Seekwartz, the best online and unusual source for comic books, news, reviews, previews, and critique. Buy their books, watch their movies, read their articles. For example, Michael Campochiaro is currently doing a rundown of Christopher Priest's Black Panther. The first article is called A Priest, a Panther, and the Dora Milaje Walk into a Bar, which I like that. Follow it. Yeah. yeah. And remember, Seekwart is on Patreon. Support smart criticism in comics. Oh, support us. Give us money, please. Sure. We need it. We want it. We don't need it, but it'd be nice. Yeah, it'd be nice to get some money. So we go on to the news. Oh, yes. It has been a very eventful two weeks, and I have... Our runneth cup over? Oh, yes. And I I have a rant in my soul today that I would like to unleash, but it's going to be a calm rant. So not unleash as much as just leash. Let out for a walk. Yeah. You know, take in the night air. Okay, so Netflix has apparently announced that Iron Fist has been cast. Finn Jones has been cast as Danny Rand. Finn Jones is perhaps best known for his relatively minor role in Game of Thrones. Which is a show on TV. Which is a show on HBO. As people tell me. Yeah, there's a lot going on on that show. Okay. That's a different podcast, though. Uh, It has to be said that he doesn't do outstanding work. On Game of Thrones, but that has nothing to do with the reason that this announcement got a lot of backlash and generated a lot of conversation. And what I'd like to do is really go in depth into this whole discussion that came up because there's been a lot of distortion and a lot of misinformation that has made the rounds. And at this point, you could set it to a clock in terms of, okay, here come the racists. Now come the anti-racists. Now come, it's just like, Very, very, very typical. Let's go from the top, right? When Iron Fist was announced as a Netflix series uh, going into the Defenders project, all of that, there was a certain contingent of Marvel fans who were hoping that Danny Rand would be played by an Asian-American actor. By the way, one of those voices was Marjorie Liu, who is currently writing for Marvel. The reason for that was that when you look at Iron Fist's origin story, this was 1974 when the character was created, it plays into a trope that is, at your most charitable, you would say that it is problematic. Because what happens is, Danny Rand is a wealthy white American who travels to the city of Kunlun, learns the secret of martial arts, and becomes... Iron Fist, right, becomes a champion, he defeats this dragon in a competition, gains its heart, gains its power, becomes the champion of Kanlan. It's the Phantom. It's, you know, the white kid go, oh. goes to Africa, becomes, oh, we'll, we'll get to the becomes the single greatest warrior of that nation, gains the sacred yeah. powers of the blah blah. Now, the thing is that the f- when this, I don't want to call it a movement because it didn't really have any power, it was just when this repeated rhetoric of let's have an Asian American play Danny Rand came up. The first and foremost argument that was levied against it was the notion that in the comics, Danny Rand is white and that his whiteness is part of his story because he is the outsider who goes to Kanlan. 
And the reason that that argument does not hold water, in my opinion, is self-evident, which is that Marvel, as they currently stand, already have a diversity problem. And if they were to stick to the guidelines of this character was created to be white and they will therefore stay white, then you won't even have the few exceptions that already exist. Idris Elba as Heimdall is a perfect example. When that casting was announced, you had people saying, well, hang on a second, there were no African-American... Norse, British, whatever. But then everybody Elba was saying, was, wait, wait, wait. None of the characters in the comic were good actors and Idris Elba is a good actor. <laughs> How can this be? Therefore he could not be in the Thor movie. But really, when you think about it, Elba, and the funny thing is that whenever these controversies come up, I can think of three very particular examples. Michael Clark Duncan as Wilson Fisk in the 2003 Daredevil mm-hmm. film. Idris Elba as Handel. And... um Not so much Nick Fury because that came from the Ultimates, so we can set that one aside. And because nobody talks smack about Samuel L. Jackson. Right. You don't want no, to... Nobody. You do not want to walk down that path. That path ends very, very poorly. But there was also Michael B. Jordan as Johnny Storm. The funny thing is that what these three performances have in common is that when people review these movies, they are always the best thing about them. People had a lot to say about Fantastic, and we'll talk a little bit about that later on in the episode, but... All, o- all around, Michael B. Jordan's performance was considered the best of the four. Michael Clark Duncan was considered the best thing about Daredevil. The same goes for Idris... Well, no. Idris Elba did a really good job, but there are other performances it, in the four films very, that do It well. was a very minor role. Right. So, that's first of all. Let go of this argument that because Danny Rand is white in the comics, he needs to be white in the adaptation. That in itself is false. The larger problem, though, is that I do want to get into that whole trope that his origin story plays into. It's somewhat uncomfortable to look at a character. Like, this is a wealthy Westerner who travels to a foreign culture, and then it's not just that he picks up aspects of that culture, right? Or that he incorporates that. He becomes the best, right? It's not that... Danny Rand goes to Kunlun and then becomes like them. It's that he is the one who ends up winning this mystical... Uh, it's not a tournament, he, he but it's their, like, He kills a dragon and bathes right, in his He blood. kills a dragon, and that is a feat that is reserved for, like, the best of their culture, right? The the epitome of everything that they represent. And and Brewbreaker and Fraction went into a lot more detail in terms of, like, what is the immortal weapon and what does it mean, etc. They basically set him up a bit lower on the totem pole by introducing other Iron Fist-esque characters called Immortal Weapons, saying, well, no, he's very good, but he's just one in a group of... The last in a chain. Yeah. Right, sure. They sort of turned him into a vampire slayer in that sense. Like, with every generation, there is someone else who... who... More like a Green Lantern, I'd say. Like, there's many mortal weapons... He's pretty good. He's not. They even said he's not the best. Right. Um, the problem, though, is that even if you say, okay, you accept that there is a bit of colonialism, implications. Colonialism, unfortunate implications. And you know what? If that were an isolated case... Mm-hmm. If this was just like one incident where you have the white guy who becomes the best Asian, people would roll their eyes, but I think there wouldn't be a lot of justification for outrage because you could just say, okay, Iron Fist story, that is what it is, that's fine. This is the third time that Marvel is telling this particular story with their adaptations. Consider, 
We already know that Benedict Cumberbatch is playing Stephen Strange, who is a white guy who goes to Tibet and becomes the Sorcerer Supreme. The best of the well, best. But they, right? they've changed it because the, the one they cast as the Ancient One is not an Asian character. There is no magical Asian... He's still Asian. going to Tibet, though. We don't know do that. We know that... No, we he, do. We do. They say he's going to learn magic. Maybe they change it. And it's going to be Tibetan culture, and they are, yes, they, they have cast Tilda Swinton as an ancient one as opposed to the ancient yeah. one. But still, like, that is also a narrative about someone, even if it's not Tibetan culture specifically, okay. it's not his culture, right? Wherever it is that Cumberbatch's Strange is going, it's not Midwestern America, right? Or in his case, I don't know if they're going to play him as British or American, depending on, on what they're going there. But it doesn't matter, right? So he's not going to go to Wales and pick up the mysteries of magic. That's number two. Number three, and this was even explicitly called out. You remember last season in Daredevil, Foggy flat out says, So a, a blind old guy taught you the secrets of martial arts. Isn't that the plot to the TV series Kung Fu with David Carradine? Mm. That is the third time. Now, in Daredevil's case, it's not pronounced picks up martial arts, but you don't see him, like, decorating his apartment with Japanese uh, shrines or whatever, right? That's a relatively subtle manifestation of it. It's just but, another aspect of the character rather exactly. than the leading plot point. Exactly, but it still constitutes a case of, like, all of a sudden you're doing something that belongs to another culture and it's not yours. So that, I think, played a very significant part in magnifying the discussion because Iron Fist is not an isolated case. It's not a situation where this is the only time it happens, and I guess to argue canonical fidelity in that case, fine. Setting aside the fact that we already know for a fact that Marvel have no problem dismissing their own canon when no, it suits them. No, no, They don't feel particularly bound to follow any specific... Nobody who's ever read the first appearance of Star-Lord, and I think it was Marvel Adventure magazine in 1977... And watch the movie version would recognize it as the same character other than the name. Exactly. So there there can... were no cosmic cubes in the Winter Soldier. Yeah. Right? There, there's a lot of, there are Drax many, many. Is not an Earthman kidnapped by Titans. Mm-hmm. Forced, and his daughter is not a bold, gay, lesbian. And Yandu space is dragon. not like with the giant mohawk and some meditative Yow, thing. Y- Yandu in the comic is not a redneck. No. No. And he's all the poorer for it, in my opinion, because the film Yandu was fantastic. But again, so the argument for canonical fidelity that Danny White, Danny White, that Danny Rand, (laughs) (laughs) he he might as well be right. I have not seen Game of Thrones, but that actor is as the out of he is really, really white. He makes us look like. I mean, he's uh, British, and again, he's a pale dude. He's what I'm saying. Yeah. And he's not... If he, if he was ever you know in a band, they would be called the pale dudes. And you know, like, this is the perfect trifecta also, because not only is he white, not only is he British, but it's like, at least when Charlie Cox was cast as Daredevil, people were like, you know what? He's a good actor. You could oh. watch Stardust, you could watch Boardwalk Empire, and like, he's good. Finn Jones has appeared in two series. The, f- the first is Game of Thrones. Before that, he was on a British um, soap opera called Hollyoaks. I looked up some YouTube clips. Well, it's Mm-mm. a British soap opera. You wouldn't expect much. Well, but I mean, okay, so now, that is Danny Rand. Counterpoint. Yes. Uh, which is a counterpoint I'm becoming more and more hesitant to make as time goes on because it seems that 90% of the people who agree with me are racist bunkholes, <laughs> which all, which makes me reconsider everything that I'm saying 17 times. But as let's I talk say. about it. Let's yeah, okay. like bring it up. Now, 
I don't believe in fidelity to the source material to that level. I think with Iron Fist, the question of race is more complicated. I don't think he should be white. I don't think he has to be white. I do question the idea that he should be Asian, because to me, A, that brings to mind a different version of unfortunate implications, because people say, well, we want it to be a story about a guy connecting with the heritage. Well, in that case, we are talking about changing a big aspect of the character. When you're saying, basically, this is the story about a guy connected, reconnecting to the past, reconnecting to some heritage, this is not the story of Danny Rand Iron Fist, even if you want to change his name and call him something else. This is a different story. With most of these characters, <clears throat> changing their race meant nothing. Spider-Man can be white, black, Asian, Hispanic, it doesn't matter, because race is not an important aspect of Peter Parker's character. With Danny Rand, the fact that he's an outsider is an important part of at least the origin story. Now later, the story is actually different. If you start, if you started from the point of him coming back to Earth, and now he's, now the strangest is from the fact that he lived the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years in a fantasy culture and he has to get used to living back on the street. Which I don't think they're going with well, that. Maybe. I don't know. That, that was the big story point when it becomes, uh, Power Man and Iron Fist, when they right. become a dual series, that one of them is street smarts and one of them is mystically smart but knows nothing about the real world okay and okay so that's one thing you are changing an aspect of the character and you can say that the original story is by this point old we don't need another Tarzan story we don't need the Phantom again we're in 2016 and you can say this story is moot is wrote is bad it's a bad story to tell we don't need it again fine in that case I might ask why why tell an Iron Fist story in the first place well no we know that Mm. that Iron, the reason that Iron Fist is being put up is because, first of all, if you're going to introduce Luke Cage, you have to have Well, Iron no, Fist. you don't. Here's the thing. You, we're it's, way, we're way past the point of, uh, Iron, Power Man and Iron Fist being the only thing. Most people, even before that, uh, Power Man for the last 15 years in comic is way more famous and successful of a character. Yeah. Than Iron Fist. Sure, but you don't, for you a don't, reason. Because yeah. when people look at Luke Cage, they say, okay, here is a dominant African American Yeah, superhero. but you don't, but you don't Danny have Rand, to, but, I, you don't I, have to have yeah. that association, but I think in like if you're asking why tell an Iron mm-hmm. Fist story at all is because if you're going and, to do it, it adds a lot. Well, and B for me, the, there are also unfortunate implications in, in the idea of well, he connects to his heritage, and his heritage is that of a guy punching dragons. Because of course, when you when you have an Asian character, make him a ninja who punches dragons with okay. mystic martial arts, which is in fact it's a stereotype, and. Again, the people actually calling for it, many of them appear to be Asian Americans or Asians themselves. So they know more than I do. But I would ask, whenever I hear somebody say, make him an Asian American or just an Asian actor, Asia is a large continent. There are many cultures and there are many people there. And casting, say, a Japanese American going to an Astra's Hong Kong slash China, because that's the... That was the original... Yeah, Tan uh, is basically otherworldly Hong Kong. Yeah, because yeah. That, that in the 1970s, they watched uh, martial art movies from Hong Kong, so they made it, made it that. If it were made in the 1990s, it would have been ancient Japan, because in then J- Japanese martial arts films mm-hmm. were more popular. But taking a Japanese-American and making him the master of you know the martial arts of ancient China is also not right. a good idea because Japan to be fair though I don't think that there was a call for Japanese American no 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 but there's specifically. no but there's there, when, the implication saying, was Chinese American no but once you're saying Asian American what I hear is well 
all Asians aren't alike, and make, no. making making again a Japanese American the champion of China is just as much as a sure. terrible idea as making him an Amer- a, a white American because you know Japan and China didn't get along no, throughout their histories. No, first of all, I don't think that anyone. I think that the implication was by asking for an Asian American actor. It was very, very strongly suggested. Let them be Chinese Americans, exactly for the reasons that you're mentioning. But I, I do uh, have but to. I didn't hear that. I I keep saying Asian American, Asian American. Maybe it's I, I didn't look at. It's unfortunate shorthand because, <laughs> like you said, you are absolutely right. Japan and China are nothing alike, and casting a Japanese actor as Iron Fist would have been a bad idea. But I think that was just sort of like studio no. head talk. But I do. You, I want to respond to that point because it is a very, very good point. When you're talking about the fact that had this been a Chinese American actor, it would have also played into a stereotype. And that was an argument that absolutely came up when this discussion was unfolding. The response that I had to that, though, was, first of all, you're operating on the assumption that if Danny Rand were Chinese American, going to Kunlun would be reconnecting to a heritage. That's not necessarily true. We already know because we, we've seen, um, Madame Gao, right, in, in Daredevil talk about, sort of in a roundabout way, talk about Kunlun as being not China, like a considerable distance further yeah, are the yeah. words that she uses. So we already know that when they choose to depict this world, it is not going to be, here's Hong Kong, but also dragons. We know that. So a Chinese American, Danny Rand, traveling to Kunlun, the, the story does not have to then become connecting to your roots. It simply means that it is a story of someone who is not a white, Western, wealthy guy going to... It's still an alien culture, right? It is still something that it has to assimilate to, but does not have that connotation. Okay. That, at the very least, would have been palatable. And to that, I would respond that, again, the voices that I've read on Twitter and in articles, specifically to, when they, they said Asian American, they also talked about changing the story into reclaiming your heritage. Okay. I think I believe that's what even Marjorie Lou said. If I'm and if, I, and if I'm attributing to her something she didn't say, I apologize and I take it back. But I've definitely heard that. I've read that. So now, let me ask you: if but, if it were that story, so what? It would be different by definition. Yeah. It would not be the story of Iron Fist as we know him from the comics. Why is that a bad thing? Because at a certain point, when you're changing a story, you you have to ask yourself: Well, why tell the story of this character? Why bother calling him Iron Fist? I, and again, I don't think Iron Fist should be white, and even though, well, you know, he's being cast. Well, yeah, 99%. realistically speaking, though, like, he was either going to be white or Chinese American. I don't think that anyone was saying, let's make him Latino. Why because, not? Why not? Wait, because if, if, if he was anything other than white and both not Asian, mm-hmm. that would change the white savior, which is an overused, right. Built of the world rope and would avoid the unfortunate implications of well, if if you're Asian American, well you got, you got to punch some dudes with kung fu magic. I think the problem there is just that. Hell, what couldn't be the RZA? You know, he he really likes this stuff. Who? Well, the RZA, the rapper slash actor slash producer, the man with the golden fists. I have no idea what you're talking about. I know more. Who is this? The guy from the Wu Tang Clan, the RZA. RZA. Oh, listen, the only thing I know about the Wu-Tang Clan is that whole thing with their album that sold for, okay. like, I don't know anything about that. Well, I'm more hip than Sean for, like, five seconds. That is that, absolutely that, fair. That, that's in the moment. <laughs> I will let you have that. Okay. But, so, yeah. I, I, I don't... And 
there were all of these different possibilities that mm. could have been done is the point. I guess like he, you could have taken him and been, you know, take him in a different direction. That would have been fine. And in fact, I think the current power man who is not Luke Cage, like yeah. a, a new, he's a martial artist, but yes. he's also African American. He's, I think African American yeah, or, or Afro Latino. I think he's Afro Latino. I might I, have been Victor, I, I haven't read it. It's, it's Jeff Park. No, it's Fred, Fred Van Lanten, which is usually, no, 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 it's, it's Al Ewing. Oh, in no, the New he, Avengers. he appeared in the original miniseries, oh, I think. Because I, I, I was reading that. It's something about, like, he, he has chi powers and yeah, all that. I, so, I've, I've, read, I've read several of his appearance in one of Al Ewing's, I think, Mighty Avengers, which was a fine series and he was a fine character. I don't remember. Right. You know, I, he was, I believe, Afro-Latino. Right. So it can be done, is yeah. the point. And the fact that Netflix chose to go with Finn another, Jones... Another boring white guy. Right. And yeah. this is the third one in a row. Even if you're willing to forgive Daredevil as part of that pattern, because he doesn't explicitly co-opt another culture, you still have Stephen Strange. And, and, and when Benedict Cumberbatch was cast, a, a big part of the backlash against that was, you know, why does it have to be this guy who's going to go up into, if not the Tibetan mountains, then something like that, and be the best sorcerer? I, by the way, I should probably mention, if you are on Twitter, you should search out Kurt Busiek's Twitter feed because... <laughs> you should do that in general. No, 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 Because he had a very interesting, uh like, presentation slash, I, I don't know if you, uh, how do you say it, a series of posts mm-hmm. about the original Doctor Strange appearance, and he notes that... Uh, Ditko, in his original drawings for the first, I think, two or three appearances, Doctor Strange was very Asian-looking. Yes, I remember that. And he becomes slowly more and more Western as time goes on. Mm-hmm. So, who exactly... If you want to talk fidelity to the source, well, you could be more fidelity than to Steve Ditko. And really, if Ditko had designed Stephen Strange to be Japanese-American or whatever, it would have at least had some kind of different implication. But Marvel at the, in the 1970s were not there yet, mm-hmm. as evidenced by... Danny Rand's origin story. Yeah, so it's... I um... just... You know, it would be different if Amadeus Cho was running around, if Jimmy Woo was was there, if Shang-Chi was on the Netflix yeah, diver- diversity They're for- not. Diversity forgives a lot. Like Marjorie Lewis said about Empress, the reason I can have all these maniacally evil, cackling female characters is because I have many female characters. Some yeah. are good, some are evil. But if you only have evil female, well, you gotta start uh, thinking, what does the other think about women? And really, the, the, speaking personally, right, what this only goes to reinforce is that Ming-Na Wen does not have her own show yet as Melinda May on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. They have not extracted her from that mess and given her her own show where well, she see, can but, run rampant but and have adventures. Would, who would be the cavalry for the cavalry? She doesn't need the cavalry for the cavalry. Or if you have to... You need a dimension ming now. Exactly. You need rest- two ming now. wen They can rescue each other. <laughs> okay. I think- but again, like this is a character who does not get the attention that she deserves because she is the best well, thing Well, I'll have show. to believe you because I don't watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Me neither, but I mean... Ah, it's okay. ming now. wen How hard oh. do you have to be? So, again, like it's... It is a casting announcement that on its own, if it really did exist in a vacuum, if this were the only example of the white savior thing coming into play, I think that maybe it wouldn't have reached this level of discourse, right? It would have just been, okay, fine. We accept that it is what it is. We're going to watch it. It'll be okay. It would have been nice if they tried something different, not the end of the world. The fact that this is turning into a pattern is a point of concern because really at this point, Netflix have been doing such a good job. Really, you know, you have to say they have been picking the best possible actors 
for their Netflix series. And in point of fact, so far, the three leads that we have seen have been great. Mm-hmm. I don't have any complaints about Mike Coulter, no complaints about Charlie Cox, no complaints about Kristen Ritter. So why they would do this is beyond me. And I am, but I do have to give credit to Marjorie Lou because as someone who works at Marvel, it could not have been easy for her Does to open up. Does she still work at Marvel? Yeah, she's writing, um, Angel? No, that's, uh, no, Marguerite no, no, Bennett. that's Marguerite Bennett. I don't think she's writing for Marvel now. I think she stopped. Did she? She wasn't writing, uh, the new, all new, no, that's Tom Taylor. No, no. I, I think you might be right. <laughs> I think she's doing Monsters for Image. And, and she has her own series of novels, right? She writes young adult yeah. novels all the time. So. And I think she's been contributing to uh, Fresh Romance. I might be uh, wrong about I that. Have, I've stopped but, Fresh Oh, Romance. okay. All right. So, uh, no, but, good for you for right. speaking truth to power, but, you right. know. So we wouldn't, we won't expect to see her at the next, like, Marvel revamp or whatever. I, oh. I, because writers of her caliber who speak out tend to get censured afterwards. We'll see. Which is too bad. But I don't, I don't she's think, not wrong. She, do, she doesn't need Marvel right now. Let, right, yeah. Uh, yeah. But but she's not wrong mm. is the thing. Like they had an opportunity here to tell a different kind of story mm. than what they are already telling. And the fact that they chose not to is disappointing. I don't know what Iron Fist will be because we already had cause for concern because the showrunner is the guy who did the last couple of seasons of Dexter, which were not the series' best years. But well, I having watched its best, so-called best years, I would say there was never anything really remarkable about that show. But yeah, whatever, that's, that's a different debate. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll watch uh, it anyway. But movie news, movie news. Yes. Uh, shall we start with Batman Superman? Let's start with Batman. Superman. Okay, so uh, the Motion Picture Association of America has put out a bulletin recently highlighting a movies they've recently rated. One of which was Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice Ultimate Edition, which is to say the straight to Blu-ray edition. Okay. It's a, like, it's director's cut, basically. Oh, like adding deleted scenes. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Which would be R-rated for, quote, sequences <clears throat> of violence, unquote. Mm-hmm. There, uh, so there is a version, or rather, there will be a version out there of Superman v Batman, which is R-rated for its violence. Because Man of Steel was not violent? Not not enough for narrating, because people were dying, but you never saw them bleeding. Hmm. It's like The Dark Knight. You remember everybody's dying on screen and not a single drop of blood, which is the big separation between oh. PG-13 and R. So when Batman <clears throat> asks him if he bleeds, he means that literally. Well, in that movie, we know that he will bleed oh, in that version. Okay. Now, there has been a lot of debate online about that. Uh, mostly, I... Oh, oh, yes. Okay. Uh, the big two contributors to the subject were Bob Chipman, aka Movie Bob, and Devin Farsi, I think. Devin Farsi. Yeah, from uh, Birth Movies Death, okay. who both wrote long and very well thought out articles, though I disagree with them at certain points, about the very fact that you have a Superman movie rated R for violence, rated R for anything, a movie featuring Superman that a kid can watch, shows a misunderstanding and a mismanaging of the character to a spectacular level. and the Which fa- we knew already. Well, Man of Steel established that very easily, that they don't understand Superman. Yeah, but this choice shows that they're not trying to correct course. They're basically saying, no, 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 this, this version of Superman works for us. This, it really just it, proves that James Gunn was right. This is exactly what he said would happen, that people would take the wrong lessons from Deadpool and assume that the no, no, R rating uh, no. is the source of the no, success. Uh, with that, I disagree for the simple reason that 
for it, it had been announced several days after Deadpool was shown to be a success, which means they had to submit it much earlier. Mm. So, no, that's not... They submitted that version earlier. You don't think they could have fast, uh, no, fast-tracked no, no, it? No, no, no. Now, they will try and ride the wave of publicity of, oh, an R-rated super- superhero movie. Oh, how edgy. As mm. if we haven't seen Kick-Ass like <laughs> seven years ago. As if Dread, or Blade before or, that. Or Dread, I don't know. Blade! Yeah. The first one. Yeah, David Goyer should know that. He wrote it. It was the good thing that he wrote. <laughs> well... Within certain limits, well, right? It was the good thing that he was connected to. Yeah. Yeah. He wrote some very nice swears to it. Anyway, uh, back to form. Now, I don't agree with all of their points. There could, in theory, be a good movie about Superman, which is R-rated, which is still loyal to the spirit of the character. What it couldn't be is it couldn't be by these particular creators, who mm. couldn't even do a PG-13 Superman right. Yeah. And the R rating tends to be like, it, with creators mm-hmm. like these, they tend to use the R as like, well, it's in the same way that um, some writers can use Marvel Mac. It's like, well, now we have permission to show boobs and, it's, and it's, bleed it's, people. Let's do it. It's as, as Alan Moore said over 20 years ago, right? When they say mature comics, what they mean is tits and gore, yeah. which is not mature. Not at all. It's the and, permissiveness that lets them go yeah. overboard. And people keep saying, well, you know, Watchmen, not the movie, the comic, would have been an R-rated, was an R-rated comic, and The Dark Knight Returns was an R-rated comic. Was it an R-rated movie? Watchmen? Watchmen, yes. Yeah, I would hope so. But here's the thing, Uh, you're not making Watchmen. No. You're you're not even making The Dark Knight Returns. You're making a Batman Punches Superman movie. Not Featuring featuring Doomsday. You are not Heming Eye. You will not redefine the American cinematic culture. You will not redefine these icons. You're just showing people punching each other. Not only that. This movie is supposed to be a springboard for a cinematic universe, right? It's not even that they're misinterpreting, like, Batman versus Superman. It's like, no. If this is an R-rated movie... You are setting the tone for the entire universe that's supposed to come out of this. Because they said, like, Wonder Woman is in this, right? Mm -hmm. This is the... Springboard for her origin film. I think Cyborg is in it too. Yeah, and Aquaman. And is everybody. Aquaman confirmed? For I, this? I, I, they confirmed that there will be an Aquaman movie, and they chose the casting. They but, probably will show him as an Easter egg or something. Right. So already sitting we in a have, restaurant, not yeah. ordering fishes. So this is the ter- this is the springboard for your entire cinematic universe that you're trying to put together, and your response is to rated R, which means that you will not be able to back down from that in subsequent installments. Because if you go from R to PG-13, there's already going to be a tone shift between the movies. And that's not how you do a cinematic universe. Or all of their movies are going to be grimdark. Which I think will burn people which out means that Zach Even Sna- hardcore Which DC means fans. Zack Snyder actually wants to do Image United all this time. And nobody... <laughs> See, that would have been a perfect fit. That would well. Zack Snyder doing early 90s Image movies, that's, that's the director for the material. Yeah, oh, they need to get him on Spawn... Nobody needs to get anything no. on Spawn except the hell away from it. True, but I mean, if Spawn is going to happen... And I'm as like... long as we're mentioning, I've read an interview in the AV Club. He wants to do, after he finishes with the DC stuff, he wants to do a George Washington movie in the style of 300. Excuse me, what? A George Washington movie in the style of 300. I think that the ghost of George Washington <laughs> is just going to rise and up and be as, like... As if mm-hmm. Abraham... Uh, Lincoln Vampire Hunter oh, was not no. terrible enough. 
It really was awful. You know, and the funny thing is that was like a failed adaptation to the T because the original is pretty good. Oh, okay. In any event, speaking of movie news, though, we have a note of hope amidst all this grim dark. Fox has pulled Gambit from the film schedule. This is the Gambit adaptation starring Channing Tatum. This is the version which was not starring Channing Tatum, then starring, starring Channing Tatum, 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 starring then Channing Tatum co-starring Channing Tatum. Oh, and, and, and then not starring, and now starring again, which changed, I think, four directors before it even went into production, which yeah. is now apparently not going into production. Maybe. Who knows? All I know is it. they've taken it out and they've added... Two more unannounced films in its place. One in October 2017, one in January 2018. I'm seeing all, I realize that this might be sort of harping on the same tune. I'm feeling like this is all Deadpool's fault. Because what's going on here is that, here's what I'm wondering. This is the year in which Fox released two superhero films. There was Fantastic Four and there was Deadpool. Fantastic Four was a flop, and I'm not even talking critically at this point. I mean, financially, it was oh, a flop. Oh, yeah, yeah. Terrible. It was a huge, huge money sink. And I'm pretty sure Daredevil... Um, Daredevil. I'm pretty sure Deadpool set some record or other. Uh, I think it's on its way, still not there, to be the highest earning R-rated movie Okay. Ever. That, I feel like, Fox executives at some... Because up until now, their only concern has been... With quantity rather than quality. They lucked out with Brian Singer and X-Men because Singer actually does care about the X-Men to some extent. Like, it matters to him if the movies are good or not. He's competent enough, at least. Sure. Like, for that franchise specifically, it has its faults. But at least Singer's been like, let me try and make something good. Mm-hmm. Other attempts, you know, the, the Daredevil movie was awful... What else have they done? And all of the Fantastic Four. Yeah, the Tim Story movies. They don't really care. It has always been an effort to hold on to the license. And in comes Deadpool. And suddenly, this was a movie where the actor was completely into it. T.J. Miller was making a lot of effort. This was a labor of love and of a desire to create a good movie as much as anything else. And it worked. So I have to wonder if they're sitting there and like... So if we make good movies, they'll make money. Wow. And then they're like, so what's our next movie? Gambit starring Channing Tatum. Nope. Pull it. It's not, I think. Cause they, Channing Tatum. I, because I don't know what they're thinking of. And I have no problem with Channing Tatum as an actor in a comedy role. He's a very good comedic actor. Yes, but he's not, um, He's too... Even within the comedic mm. genre, he's very limited. You have to use him in a very specific way to get something good out of him. Now, if the Deadpool... Uh, Deadpool if the Gambit movie was was a, a New Orleans-style musical, where he would sing and dance, because he's a very good singer and dancer, I would watch Is he that. a good singer? I know oh, he's yes, a, he, he used he to be a stripper. In, uh, mm? He used to be a stripper. He, no, he acted as a stripper. He, he wasn't actually a, a stripper. I'm he was, in da- he was sure. a dancer, because he was first... Came to public notoriety with the Step Up movies. Yeah, but he, before that, he wasn't a dancer I, at some sleazy. I don't know. That's the urban no, legend. He is anyway. a good singer because I just saw him in Hail Caesar where he's doing a very oh, fine okay. song and dance number. One of the funnest bits in a very fun movie otherwise. Alright. Uh, but back to point. I hope that they came to realize that making a movie is simply, be, simply to make a movie. Which in the case of the Gambit movie, it's an obvious that somebody, somebody high up decided 
Uh, name me a famous X character that we can make a movie of. And somebody said Gambit. That Brian Singer isn't using. Yeah, and they like, said, you might as well. fine. And they chose a date randomly and they said, by this date, we will have a Gambit movie. Yeah. Hell or high water. And so they changed actors and producers and directors and everything. And, and in Fantastic Four, they actually wanted it. They said, well, we've, the director doesn't know what he's doing and the production is terrible, but we'll do it anyway because we said we will make a movie, therefore we will make a movie again. Hell and it water. cost them a lot yeah. of money. So now they're looking at all this trouble and they're saying, well, maybe it's not worth it. Maybe we should find something that people actually want to do and therefore people want to watch. Right. I, Deadpool, by definition, now, was a movie that people went to because they wanted to see it. And they thought it might be good. Mm-hmm. As opposed, I mean, I don't think that anyone who even went to Fantastic Four in the first place expected greatness. Yeah, we expected it not to be as terrible as it turned out to be. But you didn't think that it was going to be revolutionary or that you would actually enjoy mm, it. No. Because you knew even from the marketing and from all of those stories beforehand that there were some problems here. Yeah. So I hope that this is sort of a wake-up call for them. Because nobody knows what these two new movies Unfor- are. Unfortunately, it will probably be just... Two terrible R-rated uh, X movies that they can spin off. I don't know, no. Uncanny X-Force. It could be... Warpath killing well, folks. No. What, one of the things that was suggested was it could be Deadpool and X-Force, which would well, be fine. If well, they continued in that line, that would be okay. But like, I don't think that they would next be like, let's do Nate Gray. Or, or like, let's do... I don't know. Soldier Joe Casey's Soldier X. Oh, God. <laughs> Or what was it? Darko Makan had um Darko Makan? Yeah. Well you remember that name, right? I do that was not. old school. He had um I think he was the one who did Soldier X. No, that was Joe Casey. Or am I thinking of Agent X? Agent X. No, Agent X was Gail Simone. It was Gail Simone and then it was uh I think it was Darko Makan afterwards, and it was just like really, really bad political stuff. But like No, 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 no. Agent X was Gail Simone and then uh even Dorkin and then Gail Simone again. I there was something there. I, I'll, we'll do the research. Are you thinking about the 90th X-Men character? No, no, no. This... Adam X, the extreme? No, no. Hang on. A because second. Agent X is the one series I've read from start to finish, which is easy because there are only like 15 issues. Well, it was also the follow-up to the canceled Deadpool series yeah, that Simone was Gail working Simone's on. Yeah, Deadpool. But there was no Darko McCann. No. Went... Soldier X. Soldier Darko X. Darko McCann with Igor Corday. No, that was Joe Casey. Mm, nope. Oh, really? Yep. Okay, then. My bad. Oh, right. Joe Casey did the cable run he before, was, he, yeah. before it became Soldier X. Right. Soldier X was uh, Darko McCann doing sort of... Political Deadpool. Yeah, and it didn't go very well. Okay. In uh, any event, so... We but, have mentioned Fantastic Four. Yes. We should elevate oh. Fantastic Four. It's oh. just won a major award. Oh, well, my God. a minor award. Well, an award. Well, something that some people sometimes mention on the internet. Go for it. Uh, it won many of Razzies. It won... Shut it. It won so many Razzies. It won the Razzie for Worst Picture, Worst Director, and Worst Remake. Basically, the only competition it had in these categories was Fifty Shades of Grey. Now, I'm a little torn here, I have to be honest. Mm -hmm. On the one hand, the thing about superhero movies, whether they're good or bad or average, whatever, the fans of superhero stories tend to distort the perception of these films to some extent or other, right? It's either the best thing ever or yeah. the worst thing ever. Or if you're watching Age like, of Ultron, it's like, I don't even know what this is. It, it's nobody's going to admit that the Wolverine movie, that the second Wolverine movie is just fine. It's fine. It's just watchable enough to 
Yeah. Put it on the background as you, I it's don't know, a, bake. I, I mean, some people really hated the second Wolverine, the J- Japanese Wolverine movie. Yeah. And I was like, listen, I watched it. It was okay. Wolverine like, I would some ninjas. Sure. I'd watch it again. Yeah. Occasionally. You know, if I had nothing else to do. I would fall asleep in front of that. Well, I don't know if I'd fall asleep. Some of the action scenes were good. But anyway. So, when you say, like, you put fan stick versus Fifty Shades of Grey, and you ask which one is worse, I feel like the correct answer in that case has to be Fifty Shades of Grey. No. Because if you look at Fantastic Four in its own isolated, you know, take take out the context of the superhero story, it was a bad movie. But would you say it was like an abomination of film? It was no. just... But here's the thing. I haven't watched Fifty Shades of Grey. I have read the reviews. But it's... you know Fifty Shades no, no, of Grey. No, no, no. Here's the thing. It's not an abomination of, of a movie. According to the reviews, it's just very, very dull. It's a well-executed, not slightly erotic or arousing or anything movie, which is the most respectable thing you can you can do regarding the source material. Now, Fantastic Four took something good, fan stick or whatever, took something good and made it horrible. Fifty Shades of Grey took something horrible and made it boring. Yeah. Which, which is worse. Taking so like something it, good and making it horrible. Yeah. I just don't... But think... again, uh, I just want to point out in case people don't follow the Razzies. Mm-hmm. The Razzies are meaningless. Yeah. Pointless. They are not... Just like the Oscars. <laughs> they are not the world's worst movie of the year. They are not even close. They are the most famous flop that people running the Razzies could think of. Okay, there are many movies in 2015. Some of them, I assure you, are worse than, yeah. than Final Forsting. I haven't watched them because I'm not getting paid for that. Right, we're not masochists. Like, if there, there, if there exist films that are really bad, we're just not going to watch yeah. them. For instance, I'm pretty sure that Gods of Egypt will sweep the 20, will sweep the 2016 Razzies, but... You're assuming someone will remember them by the no, time the Razzies w- come No, they along. will because it's a big flop. But it's not as bad, and I guarantee without even watching it, as Grimsby. Which is a ter- it's a terrible Sasha Baron Cohen comedy, really, oh, no. really offensively terrible, bad Sasha Baron Cohen comedy. I mean, listen, but by saying it's a Sasha Baron Cohen comedy, you're already saying that's going to be offensive and bad, like that's yeah. But so nobody, but it's not a flop because it's a small movie versus a huge movie. So nobody. Well, like, you're talking about financial flop. I'm talking about like excruciating well, to watch. They are mostly about financial and critical flops. Yeah. Uh, anything else in well, movie news? In movie news, the only thing that I want to add to this as sort of a little postscript is that I feel that with this, if you were talking about Fantastic in the same breath as Fifty Shades of Grey, we need never bring up Fantastic again. I feel like that is the end of the story. It's like it's a natural conclusion to the ongoing saga, and I don't think it ever needs until to be... until they release the Ultimate Blu-ray edition, which will be rated NC seventeen for intense, boring scenes. And stretchable genitalia. Comics news. Yes. Actual comics news featuring comic. Shall we talk with the curse of the old man in print <laughs> and the sea? The man from Snake Mountain is mad. He's not mad. I don't think anybody told him that. And I think at this point he would be resigned. Uh, DC Comic, as we, as you know, if you're listening to this podcast, like Marvel Comics, are publishing coloring, adult coloring books, which are... <laughs> Every it's time a, you say that, I keep thinking, like, what? As in, like, exposed breasts? Or what does that mean, adult Well, coloring? we've mentioned adult, what's mature comic means. Oh, my God. Uh, but, no, it's it's a popular fad right now. They sell them here in Israel in bookshops. Ridiculously popular for some reason. I don't know. People like doing them. It relaxes them. 
It's not the worst thing that people can buy in a bookshop nowadays. And probably a good tool for up-and-coming colorists. If you're looking to, like, <laughs> hone your skills with... I, I, so some of... You could do worse than using... Some of the people on my feed brought up their own attempts and said, I will never say anything bad about a colorist ever again. <laughs> which is, you know, the proper humility. It's which hard. Is, which is why I never do that myself. Exactly. I, I, how can I judge people when they, when they see how bad I am? Anyway, uh, so they've been publishing them and most of them were of, you know... It's a Deadpool coloring book. It's a Harley Quinn coloring book. It's a Batman coloring book. Popular stuff. Stuff that everybody can agree. Oh, yeah, sure. I- I'd color that. Uh, now they're publishing a Watchmen coloring book. For $15.99, you can own a black and white uh, Watchmen coloring book and do as thou wilt with the Eisner Award winning, Time 100 Best Book of the Century winning, one of the greatest graphic novels ever, book and pin it as your own. Which I assume the next stage is to release uh, a special DVD version of Citizen Kane, which allows you to re-edit the film. Because, you know, you know best. You are the greatest. They're just actively trolling Alan Moore at this point. Like, they're just trying to get a reaction out of him. They're just like... Is okay. is he alive? Let's like poke him and see what happens. <laughs> Who is it for? What's because adult coloring books? Wait, are... this coloring book is the whole no, of no, Watchmen. No, 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 all no, of it. No, no, no. How, how like I don't remember because it's sixteen ninety nine. That's yeah, the price not... of the trade, and the trade is in color. Yeah, but why would you? Yeah, so 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 it's they... the whole thing. I don't think so, no. That's crazy if it yeah. is. <laughs> That's a lot of work. That's not relaxing. I mean, who's going to color 300 pages just because you're bored? Ooh. <laughs> and then Dave Gibbons is like, that's bad. You should do it again. Dave Gibbons standing behind you. You should do that again and again. I mean, look. I'm assuming that Dave Gibbons gets paid for this. Oh, yeah. Uh, whatever agreement <sighs> he has with DC. Now, Ellen Moore said many, many times yeah, that he... he does not want their filthy okay. money. Okay. Dave Gibbons said, uh, I would very much like sure. some money. I, I mean, I... And also, let's be fair, Moore has never begrudged his collaborators picking up those checks. Well, he has. Some of them. Well, not Dave Gibbons, at least. I think I the only one he hasn't had a fight with by this point is Eddie Campbell. That's because people are incapable of fighting with Eddie Campbell. Yeah, he's nice. He's, he's too nice. nice. Yeah, it's like, um, Eddie Campbell, I would like, yes. But yeah, it's just nothing, a, nothing, Eddie. Risking the wrath of Alan Moore for a uh, coloring book. I don't, I don't At this point, you know, after before Watchmen, if, if he... If, like, if he was going to do something, he would have yeah, done it. Yeah, then. so it's just... What's the point? It's, really? It's pointless. Yeah. You're right. One last bit of comic book news. Uh, and sort of another natural conclusion to an ongoing episode. Well, wait, it's not a conclusion. It's, it's the, it's the second deck twist, I, I would say. Uh, so we've talked about Angulium in several episodes. Ad nauseum. Yeah. Angulium ad nauseum. <laughs> if it's not, if it's not a grindcore band by the end of this episode, it, it will be. be. It will be. So there have been a lot of hula in the big French comic festival, including the management being Absolute bastards online mm-hmm. and on, act- on the actual stage, trolling creators, making inappropriate jokes, forgetting the fact that women are a thing that exists in comic book and in general. Someone needs to like take that entire story and turn it into here's what you like the do's and don'ts. Here are the don'ts. The goofus- don't do any of yeah, this. Yeah, it's like the goofusel gallant with eyes with the Eisners yeah. and uh, and the Angolians. Like or do you- remember that women are a thing that exists. You remember when don't. Animaniacs used to do like good idea, bad idea. Yeah. So basically, Angolian is a bad idea. Yes. Uh, and for a lot of time, people thought that nothing would actually be done because the people running the festival have pretty much an iron grip on the 
and the award and the cooperation and the, the very meaning of Angulian as a prestigious award. But um, no, people said stop. And the people saying it are no less than 41 comic book publishers in France alone. We haven't heard anything from the American companies yet. So uh, companies like SNE, Kesterman, Der Regard, Delcourt, Denuel, Fluid Glaciel, Futuropolis, Guilmion, Galnat, Jangel, and many, many more are saying uh, up until the management will apologize and change its way, we are no longer supporting, we are no longer mm-hmm. participating in Angulian. Yeah. Yeah. Good for them. Yeah. I recognize some of those names. I mean, I know Delcourt. Was Humanoids part of this too? Uh, I don't see the name Humanoids. Well, I, I have to imagine that they'll follow suit because, like, this was such a spectacle that yeah. n- no one would, no one will cite. Yeah, I, they're, they're not printing all the names in the article that I've read. They're, they're right. saying over 41. forty one, over yeah. forty. Yeah. So, so it's. But you know, it's hard for me to feel bad for them because this was really a situation yeah, it's, where it's you well made deserved. your bed. Now you lie in it. Yeah, That's... You, you have reaped the whirlwind. Exactly. And they hopefully had we'll see some changes. That would really be the best outcome of this, I mm-hmm. think. Like, really forcing... And it seems like, okay, this might be a futile hope, but I would hope that the lessons learned from Angulyam could ripple outward a little bit, because Marvel could also take a look at this and be like, maybe some things need to change. But... Well, you know, we'll the M doesn't stand for friends. Oh, that was a good one. Low was blow, it? but was very it? good. Yeah, that M on Stealing head a joke from not. from Mark Miller is now a good one. I, I would remember that. That's the level that we're at, unfortunately. Shall we go on Let's to actual on to comic reviews. reviews? Yes. And we will start with that thing with which we will never, never in a thousand years imagine we will ever review in this podcast. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers number one. I mean, I'm sitting here with you looking at the comic. When and we I started this podcast believe. over two years ago. Uh, <laughs> Almost like, years ago. Yeah. Like, really? Power Rangers number one. Hmm. Uh, written by Kyle Higgins with heart by Henry Persetia. Persetia. Mm-hmm. And Matt Hermes doing the coloring. And there's also a backup street by... Steve Orlando. The art by Corn Howell. Yes. So this is the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers number one from Boom. Yeah. This follows issue zero, by the way, which I have not read. I haven't read. But I don't think it's yeah, necessary this, for this. So this one stands alone, which is a good version of doing issue zero and number one mm-hmm. because people liked issue zero and now we haven't read it and we still can follow the plot. Yeah. There's a reference in this issue to the events of issue zero, mm-hmm. but it's contextualized in such a way that you okay. get it anyway. Now, Sean, have you ever watched the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers as a child? Yes. I, too, have also watched them. I was 12 years old when the first season came mm-hmm. out, I think. 12 or, or and 13. we should make perfectly clear, this is the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, which means the first couple yes. of seasons. Because Power Rangers is a huge franchise. And as far as I know, they're still in production. Oh, yes. Like, the shows are still yeah, coming out still now. Sh- and because they've learned that it's much easier to sell new toys every season, from, I think, season 10 onwards or so, they've... Uh, ditch the idea of any continuity between seasons and mm-hmm. they're now basically rebooting it with different casts and different zords and different outfits every year. Well, although when you think about it, the Japanese shows work the same. Yeah, way, yeah. The Americans like, just said for a long, long while the American, Power Rangers is the American version of the Japanese yeah. Sentai shows. The Americans basically kept it as odd as it is to think about it in continuity for the first I don't know, eight, ten seasons, there was yeah. an actual continuity they between the They took different Sentai TV shows and had it all be like one. Okay. And, and this is that. This is okay. like, but then what that means for the issue is that these are 
stories and characters from the first few seasons. It's like 20 years ago. Yes, but now updated to 2016. It's doing what and Archie how? did. It's doing what Archie did. It's wanted to do what Archie did and what Jen did. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are the Mighty Morphin Pongers in case people growing up on this either haven't watched this or have forgotten all about it? They are a group of five, well, six by the time of this issue, uh, brave teenagers with attitude <laughs> who fights uh, the evil witch Rita Repulsa who tries to take over the Earth from her fortress in the moon with her giant monster that she periodically sends to Earth to take over the planet. Sure. And they do it by... Standard Sentai formula. Yeah, they're like doing it by transforming into color-coded superheroes. You have your Red Ranger, Pink Ranger, Black Ranger, Yellow Ranger, and now the Green Ranger. And you j- getting into their giant robots anytime the monster is too big to fight on the ground. Yeah. So far, so good. Now, this issue and this series take a particular point from within the TV show. They're starting right after the addition of the sixth ranger, the green ranger, Tommy Oliver. Mm-hmm. Which, in the show, he was originally a fellow teenager. He was brainwashed by Rita to serve her evil ranger version until he was brought down and moved into the good side. And in the TV show, it was all very much kid stuff. And he was evil. Now he's good. Perfectly yeah. fine. What the comic is trying to do is sort of tell us what happened in between these scenes. Because after you've been a bad guy, you've been brainwashed by an evil witch from the moon and took... (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) When you say you've been brainwashed by an evil witch from the moon. Yes. (laughs) The Uh, show is crazy. Yes. And you took part in an assault about on a large metropolitan area, potentially... Maybe killing people. They they said, yeah. They said they not. They never said how much damage he did, but they are saying there was a lot of damage. Tommy, the Green Ranger, can't just shake it off. And the in other, the comic, let's point in that the out. comic, yeah. Because what we what we need to point out if we're making the comparison mm-hmm. between the comic and the show is that the show was absolutely an example of sanitized for children, circa nineteen nineties America, by which we mean. Conveniently uh, empty buildings were trashed all over the buildings. place. There were never any fatalities. There were never any injuries. Teenagers could not be shown drinking coffee. Uh, the word kill was never used. It was always like just a euphemism like destroy or whatever. Yes. Okay. Which, um, so very sort of cleaned up mm-hmm. and, and as a result, I think also very childish. Yeah. In well, terms of the show. It was a children's show. The comic though. Let's talk a little bit about like what goes on over here because I think from the almost from the beginning you can tell that Kyle Higgins is doing something here that would never have been permitted on the show. Well, I don't know how the show is nowadays. I oh, no, well, it. now the show I think is owned by Disney, so I doubt that there's been any progress in terms of Let's be less okay. Uh, well, let's let's leave the show really. Let's go back to the comic. Okay. There is there is a lot to like here and. He finds an int- he the creators find an interesting I- niche, an interesting idea to work with within the boundaries of the Power Rangers. Now, it's not the original TV show. It's for no other reason that it takes place in 2016. There is the internet. There are iPhones. Uh, Balk and Skull, the comedic uh, sidekick duo, have their web series, which they interview people with, which is I I guess. Now officially 2016 version of exposition dump via TV news. Or they also talk about they're doing a podcast that covers the... It's a a bit tiring. They spend the first three pages doing it, which you you can... 
it's okay, but you could have just, you know, shown it on, a, on the on the first folding of the page, like the Power Rangers are a group of uh, cr- uh, monster fighting teens. The new pa- the new Green Ranger is now blah blah blah. Well, I have you to d- wonder you didn't who need the target sp- audience is here yeah. because, like, oh, but, it's it's a nostalgia trip, obviously. On the one hand, it's a nostalgia trip, but on the other hand, look at what Higgins is actually doing here. Like, he is the what happens in the story basically is that. Um, Tommy is having some trouble fitting back into the group. He's dealing with a lot of guilt because of what he did while he was Rita's Green Ranger. Rita herself has some kind of other plan. She's she playing still has some hold on his mind and she can appear to him in visions and dreams. There's an implication that Zack, the, the Black Ranger, is having some kind of problems at home. And, and, the whole, and the group as a whole is not quite sure about trusting Tommy. Mm-hmm. Which... Obviously didn't happen on the, yeah. on the show, but like here, there is discussion between the characters on, you know, uh, our mentor just sort of summarily decided that he would be part of the team. Nobody actually asked us if mm-hmm. we, do we trust if him? If you want this guy who just tried to murder all of us. Yeah. And Even succeeded. though he was under someone else's control, it's like, okay, but now we're supposed to fight with him. Mm-hmm. So it does have a lot of very specific moments where you can tell that Higgins is He's experimenting with what can and cannot be done, I think, in a very similar way to what Thompson and Campbell were doing with Jem. In the sense that when you look at the source material, there is a very, very strong limiting framework, right? You cannot talk about civilians getting killed or, you know, substantial damage to a city or like... But then at the same time, Higgins seems to be asking like, okay, Gundam can deal with heavy, mature themes when they want to. I think... Can this series do the same? And I think it can. And it's important. Take note, people uh, who make Superman v. Batman already <laughs> version, who obviously listen to this podcast on a daily basis over and over again. Being a PG-13 rated comic, or this might be even be PG, PG, I don't know what's the, what's the rating for the Boom comic. Being aimed... Being something that kids can read without b- seeing blood and gore and violence and whatever does not mean that you lack depth. Depth does not come from violence. And they can bring in all these subjects, the ideas of guilt and and fitting into group and problems at home and actual issues teen experience without turning it into, oh, it's now X-rated, you know, it's Parangers, not for kids anymore. No, 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 it's Parangers for kids and adults, which is what the best of the recent reboots for uh, old properties we have seen mm-hmm. do. Again, Archie is oh, a more yeah. mature comic nowadays, but it's still I, a thirteen-year-old boy can read Archie. A thirteen-year-old girl can read can read Gem and the Holograms. Yep. They would see nothing that it is bad, that is bad influence, that is I don't know dangerous to them to experience. I think it's the reverse mm-hmm. of what we've seen with this whole concept of the rated R, right? Mm-hmm. Like when Alan Moore talks about some people see the R rating as an excuse to be gratuitous, mm-hmm. right? Let's, let's just go balls to the wall and throw everything out there and just for no other reason than because you can. And I think what this has in common with Archie and Gem is absolutely the fact that you can recognize the limitations and you can step outside those limitations without losing the point. And Higgins, I mean, I'm really intrigued by this comic and I never thought in a million years that I would be sitting here <laughs> telling you like, so I'm going to stick around for the first arc of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers now, the comic. I want to talk the bad a bit. Yeah. And for me, it's something that, uh, because Presedia and Hermes are good artists, it's just, I don't like the Power Rangers designs. I just don't. I think these designs 
as they are originally, they are clunky, they are boring, they are not mm. very inspiring. The monsters are cheesy looking. Even when you are not limited to puppets and people in monster suits, which they were, they still, they try to adapt the look and therefore the monsters look ridiculous. And the Green Ranger with the weird things on his shoulders and the, the pads. The shield, yeah. yeah and it's Although... Not, it's not, it's not it, you know, it's distinct. You can tell exactly who is who because they are color-coded, but it's just... It's not a good custom design. I am right. sorry. Well, to be fair, I feel like that's something that well, you got Cassetia couldn't do anything no, about. No, no, like again, he can't they, redesign their outfits. No, 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 he can't do anything about it. But I'm saying it's a part of the comic. Therefore, for me, it's a it's a proper target to complain about. Although I will say, I'm sorry, the body patrol looks terrible. No, see, that's exactly the thing. Looking at this. Hmm. I mean, look at Goldar's design, for example, on the second page, and and look at how the putty patrollers look here. There's a more sinister element here, yeah. I think, than would have been permitted on a show. Yeah, again, even taking into account like puppets and prosthetics. And I'm all saying that, of it's the best there is of what could be done without radically changing everything, which they're not going to do because this is, for better or worse, a bit of a nostalgia trip. Right. Scorpina looks amazing, I thought, but it's still. You know, I, I just, I just don't the, like these designs. Yeah. And I would stay with this, with this series. I would stay with it, but I, I am, but there will be the bit of grumbling of, uh, it's like, uh, we've talked a lot about Transformers more than meets the eye. And for a lot of people, no matter how good the art as it is, it's just that the character designs of the Transformers themselves, all the, you know, the blocks and the angles, it's just not appealing to them. And right. you can't, ch- you can't change that. Yeah, and like there's me, a certain core design. Yeah, and for where me, if you step outside that, you're not doing yeah, transformers and, anymore. Yeah, and for me, the core design of the Parangers is unappealing. Right, and I this is that. as good design-wise, I think, that you can show it. Yeah, in a in a in a straight adaptation. I, I I do think like if if we're looking at this in terms of adaptation and you know the relationship to the source mm-hmm. material, this is probably the best possible outcome that could have happened because Higgins and Presetia are working within the established framework and really, realistically speaking, they couldn't do more the, than the, that. The like, question in, is in the how... same way that Campbell and Thompson can't, you know, they can't kill off Jem and have somebody else come in. Oh, you know? I don't know. You know, there are limits to what they could the do. Question, the question is really, because this, Jem uh, and Archie were straight up reboots. This takes place Somewhat within the first season of the Power Rangers, even if Except even it doesn't, with, yeah, even with the time update, the question is, how far will they take this? Will we see things that contradict the things that later happened with the Power Rangers? That's an interesting question. Like the fact this is supposed to be an integral, but I have to ask. And they've already announced a series of miniseries about the yeah. various Rangers, which feels to me a bit early to start squeezing up all the publicity. I think the the reason that it could work is like the opportunity that Higgins has here. Is that on the one hand, yes, there's a very clear, you know, chronology that you can't really mess with. But on the other hand, so I have to say the clear and important continuity no, no. of the Power Rangers. It, that's exactly the thing, though, because this was a 1990s show, because it was so pared down. Like even at 12 or 13, I'm like, there's something wrong with this show. Like these characters are one dimensional in the extreme. There's an opportunity here for writers to come in and build these characters up in exactly the way that Wade did with Archie, right? Mm-hmm. You see levels to Archie and Betty and Jughead in Wade's story that you would not see anywhere else. And I think that Boom wants to do that. What they can do in terms of, like, they can't, they can't violently change the, the makeup of this team. They can't really go beyond that. 
But within the context of let's update the series, like let's do new things, they have a lot of leeway just because the original was so threadbare. And again, like my ideal here is Sentai doesn't make a natural connection to Gundam. They are different things. But when you think about like Gundam has had like themes of ooh, sexual assault, uh, child soldiers, psychosis, uh, experimentation, trauma. They've dealt with some pretty heavy things and come out all the better for it. If this is something, if this is the direction that Higgins want to go in, I am intrigued because I do want to see what he's going to do with this. And I think that there is potential here. And I'm really interested to see what comes next. Okay. So yeah, this is part surprisingly good. <laughs> surprisingly good because like the odds were against them. Boom aren't really known for this kind of retro nostalgic well, grab. They, it's they, usually IDW yeah, who they, do that. They've tried, but I've, I, the Boom series of nostalgia revivals like Escape from New York, was it? Yeah. Yeah. Escape from New York and Bill and Ted. Big I Trouble just, in Little China. Yeah, I never, I didn't like. Yeah, those, they haven't caught on. They're still ongoing, so clearly somebody's yeah. buying them. But I can't say that they like leapt out. And I like Big Trouble in Little China, but I read that comic and I'm like, yeah, it's eh. fine. It's perfectly okay-ish. Yeah, that's about as good as it could be. <laughs> so, from a comic aimed for kids that adults can enjoy, <laughs> uh, to speaking about mature comics, The Discipline, yeah. written by Peter Milligan, artist uh, Leonardo Fernandez. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a uh, image. Yes, it is. Uh, we gotta have an image number one. I think every episode. Well, if, oh. imi- if image is content to put out number ones, we'll be content to read them. So, Sean, what what's this about? What is the discipline? Rated R, NC seventeen. You'll have to give me a moment to compose my answer because so many things are wrong with that sentence. <laughs> okay, so the discipline number one is a new Peter Milligan series, and I think setting aside the fact that it's an image number one. We will always make time for Peter Milligan. Yes, we whether will. or not he deserves it, he's one of those creators who you when, should at when, least try it. When you wrote Shade the Changing Man, Enigma, and the Human Target, and Ecstatics, you kind of earn a credit for life. To well, I wouldn't say life, but to an extent, he hasn't exhausted our patience just yet. Hmm. So Peter Milligan and. He has decided to channel E.L. James. We just can't get away from Fifty Shades of Grey. This podcast is a problem. Okay. I don't know what to do with this is the thing. What's the plot? The plot is um, Melissa is a married woman whose husband is absent. She is sexually frustrated and... And intellectually frustrated. Is she intellectually Well, yeah, because they keep on mentioning in the Peter Milligan way of she's a literary agent... Right. And she and her, her husband and she, recently won she, a, a financial windfall and as a result and there's some tension with her family. She quits she had to quit her job because it's no longer necessary. Now she has nothing to do all day mm-hmm. and the family resents her because she oh, you think you're better than us which she is. At least according to this issue. Right. I don't think that she acts that way, but no. I think that there is sort of a very clear distinction of she goes to visit her sick mother and her sister's like, You're just here to flash your money in our face. That seems to be a misinterpretation on her part. But in any event, she meets a mysterious man named Orlando who wants to perform the ritual on her. And that is about the point where I lost the plot. <laughs> because uh, well, monsters are involved. Uh, transformative semen is uh, apparently uh, a thing that exists. 
And uh, the the issue ends with Orlando being revealed to be part of some kind of secret. There council. are apparently at least two fa- factions fighting for control over something within the human world, and they are achieving that via sex. Yes. So it's the classic idea of you know forces beyond their understanding intruding into our world. You know, to get you're... I mean, <laughs> no, no, because no, you're saying the classic. It's not quite classic in that context. No, no, it's just... He's changing, he's, but he's changing the basic point. Usually it would be to fight over A and B, you, you, you know, uh, God and Satan, dark side and then you, yeah. father, what have you. It's, it's a thing that's being done. It's just, uh, Milligan in his own way is moving it from the regular themes into, okay, but what if it's about, instead of X, it's about Y and Y is sex, which is something that we usually do not discuss. And here's the first problem. What do you mean we don't discuss it? In comic book, it's ah, this, mm, mm. because a lot have been made, at least it, it was been published as, oh, this is the, this is the dangerous comic, this is the comic that goes all the way, and this is 2016. <laughs> if it's this, 2016 in image. Yes. If this came out in Vertigo in 1990, right after, I don't know, The Extremist or whatever the thing that they did, yeah, yeah, I, that, that would have been very, you know, radical for its time. Yeah, and Nick had some pretty explicit sexual yes. contact too. But again, this is 2016 and he's publishing it via image. Now in image nowadays, we have Saga, which shows sex as just a thing that people do because sex is a part of life, even among winged aliens. We have sex criminals in which it's explored fairly. Oh my god, L- listen, I mean. I'm two trades behind, say nothing. I'm not gonna spoil the plot, but let me just say like, Chip Zdarsky and Matt Fraction are being more explicit than you would think that anyone could yeah. be. Like, the, what, sex criminals specifically, Eric Stevenson does not seem to care. He's just like, if you guys want to talk about, like, favorite positions and where the ankle goes and what you do when you're down there, go right ahead. Like, you can just draw the whole yeah. thing. And Zdarsky in particular has that grossed out sense of humor of, like, you know, let's talk about... What happens with threesomes or like what happens when yeah, a woman and, has an orgasm? And we haven't hardly mentioned Sunstone or the or the Brandon Graham porn comics or mm-hmm. by the gods, Joe Casey's sex, which shows on certain panels more sexual acts and deviances than there are throughout this entire first issue. Right. So it's not it's it, radical, Mil- it is not. Milligan seems to think that it is. And I think this might be a problem of, you know, he is who he is and he belongs to a certain generation that would have viewed this as shocking. But unfortunately, because your comic is sitting on the same shelf from the same publisher of the guy who does, I mean, they just had furry gay porn on island, for God's yes. sake. So, like, to some extent, this is not as revolutionary as you would like to think. It would have been in your heyday. But. But now. Okay. But. Just even, like, okay. okay. But even if it's not radical. There are some problems with this comic behind the fact that it's not what what it sells itself to be. Yeah. The big one is, again, speaking of not fitting for its day, this sexually repressed 20-something-year-old woman apparently did not hear about the internet because her version of <laughs> change satisfaction is going to a museum and watching its classical paintings, which is... I, I, I don't even... What? 
Well, she I likes to she likes to look at paintings specifically of classical paintings of the gods raping um, mortals, or like sexual acts in general. Yes, that seems to be the implication. Anyway, she happens to fixate on like the satyrs <sighs> dragging the women away and, and sexually pleasuring them, and then she hallucinates that she's the woman and someone else is the it's satyr. Like, it's a very pre-internet idea of yeah. what you can do to satisfy yourself in public. And then th- there's a scene. Forget it, in public. There's a scene where she, you know, she decides to pleasure herself. And Milligan writes it as if it's this great revelatory scene, and it's like, no, we we pretty much knew that. That's that's not you're not writing the mysteries is of this Adolfo peer, here. Is this a period piece? No, I haven't it noticed. doesn't. She uses cell phones. She has like a, she I, has an iPhone. Yeah, it's modern technology oh, as okay. far as so I can that, tell. If it would have been a period piece, and even other, as a period piece though, like what? yeah. Other and other than that, I just I'm not very interested in her. I'm not very interested in these otherworldly factions. Yeah. I am. Curious, but my curiosity is simply because Peter Milligan, for good or ill, and 